This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. All right, well, welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. So I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Chris Carpenter. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here today. But before we find out what you're actually doing today, if you would, could you tell us, what did you want to be when you grew up? Sure, that's a great question. Ever since I can remember, the mark of what I wanted to do was rooted in curiosity. I was just so curious about how things worked. Um, I was very fortunate to watch my dad and my grandfather tinker and tinker and tinker. There was never a problem that they were not afraid to get their hands on and dig into. Um, and intersected with that, there was not a person that they were unwilling to interact with. So I saw them fix things for other people. So there was uh, there was a steady collection of folks who would ask my grandfather or my father to fix things for them, to help them understand what was broken, what was wrong. And um, I wanted to be resourceful too. I wanted to be someone who was helpful. Um, And I was also insanely curious about the way that things worked, about the way the human body worked, about the way the mind worked. Wow. So I was always interested in taking things apart, putting them back together, and, you know, finding out what, how things worked around me, um, including people. So I thought from an early age, I might want to dig into psychology to understand how people worked. But that kind of just that general curiosity never sits still. So it went from people to things to um, even back in the early, early days of computers, uh, wanting to learn how the computers worked and how the programs work. So uh, I always wanted to see, you know, what made things tick. Wow, that's a great answer because you're all over the board, but it's because of your yeah. curiosity that you're, uh, and I would imagine the attention span of a child, you were kind of like hopping all <laughs> over the place. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, what was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies while in school? My favorite hobbies and subject in school were easy. It was all of them. Again, I was a very curious kid and I enjoyed being around other kids, being around other curious kids. I wasn't afraid to try any. I wasn't afraid to do anything, Um, again, because I had seen the people around me that I grew up with, my father, my grandfather, even, uh, you know, my mother, grandmother, relatives, et cetera, were not afraid to fail. They were not afraid to poke at things to see how they were, um, and they weren't afraid to let me watch. So when I got into school, everything seemed to be fair game. So I enjoyed math a lot. Um, I enjoyed reading. Uh, my mom was a librarian, so reading was a, was a natural thing. Outside of school, I enjoyed sport a lot too, because it was just, it was fun as a functional only child to be able to interact with other people and spend time with them. What was your first actual real job, one where you got a paycheck and felt like you had some responsibility? So my first job was actually kind of as a park ranger. There was a small campground that was uh, not too far from my home. Uh, I was able to get over there. Uh, I operated a weed whip like a champ and cleaned up their grounds and uh, built things. I built uh, picnic tables and um, did some maintenance around the place. It was it was nothing profound, but it gave me a chance to take ownership of the way that a place looked that people would frequent that I could take some pride in. So I enjoyed that. 
um, and had several similar jobs as I went through my high school career, but uh, it was uh, that was my first one. <laughs> That's great. Well, if you would, tell us, what do you do today? Sure. So today I am a project manager for a life sciences company in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we are a global company. So we have a global headquarters in Indianapolis, but we also have offices from the East Coast to the West Coast to the top of the United States down to Florida. We have offices in Europe, in Asia, in India, Africa, and all port all points in between, and we make research instrumentation for the um, pharma industry and uh, for colleges, for government uh, research facilities um, who are doing research against cancer, against HIV, um, they're doing genomic research, etc. So I'm a project manager, and what that means is basically I help people play well together and tell good stories. So we have a requirement to do what we say and say what we do, and I help us make sure that we are organized in what we say that we're going to do and how we document that and how we share that information. So my role is specifically around collaboration, which again is helping people play well together. Most people are familiar with time, they're familiar with email, they're familiar with texting, um, and the business itself also has a need to communicate well together. So I help make sure that we have spaces in place for projects to share information from one person to another so that we can efficiently design and build our instrumentation to deliver to scientists. We're going to use those instruments to hopefully help put an expiration date on cancer. That's really amazing. And your job is one of the reasons I started up this podcast because you're you work with stuff I thankfully have never seen, equipment I've never seen and hope to never see. <laughs> and it's yeah. you know, but somebody's gotta make it, somebody's gotta make sure that it works, somebody's gotta bring the resources together, gotta make sure everybody plays well together. So that's just fascinating. And could you take us from that time in the park, you know, as your first job to how did you get to this role? So, and it's a very, very squirrely line. They all are, I'm finding. <laughs> Sometimes people think that um, I need to understand from a very early age that I'm very good at soccer and then I need to play in all the right soccer programs until I get all the way through to college, play soccer in college, and then maybe I'm a pro. And that's a very straight line, linear approach to what do I want to be when I grow up. For me, I was so interested so many things, some that involved working with my hands, some that involved working with digital information, some that involved working with story, and everything that involved working with people. And I just really, really had an insatiable curiosity to know more and to be around people. So long story short, uh, the, the, the start of my pursuit of where I ultimately ended up was in elementary school. I started to do okay in elementary school, and then I started to do very well. Uh, and I actually started taking the SAT when I was in sixth grade, which opened up some opportunities to go visit some colleges and to just talk to people who were in that next stage of where I was thinking about. Uh, I, I saw it as very, very important when I was young to find people who were older than me, not just my parents' age, but in that middle area and look to them to help understand what it took to pull me through. Um, so when I was in elementary, what did it take to pull me into high school so that I could thrive there? When I was in high school, what did it look like to pull me through to college? so that I could be prepared and thrive there. And not just from an academic standpoint, but from, you know, what does it take to be a person that, that thrives well? Um, you know, the, the analogy that I have is, is always if, you know, you have to learn to acclimate yourself to water before you can enjoy swimming. And I was one who wanted to find out what it 
process looked like to acclimate myself to those environments before I before I got there so I could really enjoy them while I was there. So I started going to colleges and I found Wabash College um, when I was in, um, I believe, eighth grade. A recruiter there had met me and they sent me a piece of mail every week from basically my entire high school career uh, preparing me to be in that environment. So it was a very clear choice for me to go there. And when I went there, I studied liberal arts, which is, a, as you can imagine, a broad sampling of, um, of history, of science, of English, of humanities, of math, of languages, of people. And I came out of there a very well-rounded problem solver and a very well-rounded communicator. And that made sense. While I was there, I also, of course, sport. I played golf and I played rugby in college. And I was involved in just about everything I could be. Um, and I decided at that point, maybe I want to teach. I went on to graduate school afterward and finished three masters in three years. Ended up meeting my wife on a blind date and my line got a little squiggly. So I decided, you know what, maybe I don't want to teach. Maybe I want to go do something else. So while I was in college, I had worked with my dad at a company that was owned by General Motors and he had done project management work. He worked specifically on product development process and project management process. And those two things really made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, so as I worked with him, as I watched what he did, I didn't just understand what it looked like to be a project manager or a program manager. I understood that there are people in the business world who have problems that they need solved. They have pain points that they need solved. So I started to pay really close attention to what people didn't like, to what gave people the fits, what was difficult for them to do. And I made it my job to fix those. So if I could go and make your day 10 minutes easier, 20 minutes easier, if I could take something and by helping with a, a way to plan or a way to communicate, um, make someone's life a little bit easier, generally, they were super happy to work with me. And that made the relationship with the people that I work with something that I could really dig into and quantify that, yeah, I, I want to be somebody who is a student of the game, a student of the org, and somebody who's an enabler. At the point where I met my wife, I decided to, to be done with graduate school. So I left with my degrees and started working for a publisher as a project manager and editor there and spent some time as with the publisher in, uh, in roles also very similar to the tier one and tier two automotive suppliers, different car builders in that same project management process role. And then I made the jump from those that industry over to biotech, which is where I sit now. I spent a little bit of time with Eli Lilly, a drug company, and then moved over to Beckman Coulter, where I've been for the last 13 years. And this role has been very, very fun. Um, and what I've, what I've discovered about being a project manager is that I don't have to be only project manager. I don't have to be only a program director. What I can be is an enabler. I can be a helper. As I have allowed my role to grow, um, I have basically just taken the, the role that they roughly expect me to do and I've added a little bit of value here or added a little bit of value there of the business and ask, hey, is there any way that I can be helpful for you in the same way that I'm being helpful for the group that I'm working with now? And that has allowed my role to expand within the company. Um, and it's it's really allowed my role to, to be beneficial to me and that I get to work with a lot of different folks doing what I feel really strongly about. Um, and I also get to, uh, I get to enable a lot of folks with um, what I feel really capable of doing. And I don't feel 
feel tied to one specific piece of the business because being helpful and being an enabler, there there really aren't many boundaries around that. So with my role, I kind of come into work and I decide what am I going to do today? Who do I want to help today? Um, and how do I want to help them? And some people are more comfortable with, I want to know exactly what I'm doing when I come in in a day and I want it to be a very fixed quantity and I don't want it to vary because unknowns are kind of scary. But for me, unknowns means a good variety of what I get the opportunity to do. So it's a good, very, very good fit for me. And if you would, tell us what's your typical work week like? It sounds like you're dealing with a lot of different folks, so you're probably pulling in a lot of different directions. And how do you manage that in a typical week? So my typical work week will be interacting with people right in my own office to all the way around the globe in China and Japan and India or in Europe to, uh, you know, we are we are a global company, so the areas of work that I focus in are making sure that the people that don't sit right next to each other have a fair shake at talking to one another like they do. So I want to make sure from a software perspective that they are able to share documents and information back and forth like it's no big deal. If there are things that I can code and build for them, I also try and do that for them as well. So I, you know, the teaser here is I am all self-taught with coding. Uh, my degree from Wabash was in religion and philosophy, wow. and my three masters were uh, from seminary. So I came out wildly unqualified to do just about everything <laughs> on paper. But because I had grown up with a family who was not afraid to poke at things and tinker, neither was I. So I learned um, over the course of time, um, starting very early, you know, what, what made code tick? How does How does digital space work? How does it, what does it look like to write workflows, to automate things? What does it look like to um, shoot video and edit it? What does it look like to do graphic design? Um, what does it look like to do project planning in a software that I'm only barely familiar with? Um, rather than treating those as questions that were very scary, they were opportunities to learn a skill that I could apply to help other people do their work more efficiently. So when I am at work, my, my efforts are focused on 70% of my time spent digging in with people and really, you know, really grabbing onto their problem space, helping them think about it, helping them think about how to remove pain points and how to do things more efficiently. Um, about 20% of my time is spent training, so I constantly want to learn and understand what does it look like to do well? Uh, what is What do best practices look like? Is there anybody that's doing this really, really, you know, they're just really killing it and I need to watch them. And that last 10%, of course, is the watching, the finding a mentor, finding a professional that I can talk to, that I can walk with to understand, okay, you've been to a place that I haven't. What, what do I need to learn from you? What do I need to know that I don't know already? So that is, that's roughly what my week looks like. Um, I spend a lot of time dealing with things that I had no idea I was going to deal with when I woke up in the morning. Somebody comes up to my desk, taps it, hey, you got a second? And um, they walk me over to a problem space that, um, you know, that's difficult to deal with. And I love that. And the reason that I love that is because people trust me with their problem spaces, knowing full well that I may not know anything about it going in and we may not get to a solution. But the fact that they walked up to my desk and they continue ha continue to have done that for the last 13 years because they, one, enjoy working with me and two, enjoy going through a problem-solving process with me. That means the world to me because I love to help people and I love that folks that I work with trust me to be a partner in getting them where they need to be. Wow. Yeah, that's really great. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org and if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster. So Chris, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was a bunch of everything because you were so curious and what you do today, which is a project 
project manager. So looking back, what would you do differently? Kind of difficult to to think about that because again, you know, my career did not start and continue in a very linear fashion. I roughly understood what strengths I brought to the business world and I understood how I could apply them. But I also understand that every opportunity I got to succeed in the business world and even every opportunity I got to fail in the business world when there were times where my job was my job was in an industry that was unstable. So they have what's called downsizings where they mm. they have uh, they have roles that they need to get rid of to save money and that was that was a reality I was not prepared to be faced with early on. Every opportunity I got to be involved in things that were good and that were bad, I got to learn more. And being a student of the game, I can't stress that enough, is what makes me feel like I can belong in any game. And I don't need to just fit into a specific role or a specific um, area, but I understand what it takes to belong. Um, names to be um, indispensable, to be so valuable to an organization that it, it would seem almost inconceivable to do business without you. The career path that you can enjoy in biotechnology is is one that is not going to necessarily see some of the bumps in the road that some of the more manufacturing heavy industries would uh, would face. So Yeah, that's a great call out because I kind of found the same thing. If I look back and do it again, I became a district manager in a retail setting for a CPG company and I thought, oh, everybody has one of these jobs. And I found out, no, not everybody does. There's not that many out there. So right. yeah, that's a, it's good to know that ahead of time because it does limit your options or you, you might find yourself in a dire strait if you're not careful. So that's a cool, good call out. Well, what advice would you give someone who would like to do what you do, who would like to be a project manager in the, the life sciences? The advice that I would give is to be curious, to understand the understand the pain points of the place that you want to serve. Project management role is so fun and so interesting because you get to literally go in and um, it's like, you know, it's, it's like playing Monopoly and being in charge of the rules. So you you understand how things move around. You understand how information moves. You understand how people move. You understand how product moves. And your, jo- your job, your role as a project manager is to understand that well enough so that you can focus on making those transactions run so smooth and to understand how to how to plan um, effectively for for something to be designed to be built to be tested and to be delivered to a customer in a way that we can we can roughly predict from beginning to end what we're what we're going to know what are the known quantities and what are the unknown quantities so how do you plan for things that you don't know will happen well that's part of the project management process adding buffer to um, to your plans to say, you know what, I have seen enough projects and none of them ever, ever, ever run to the schedule that we put in. So how do we plan also responsibly for the surprises? Mm. When you are a student of the game, you know that there are unexpected things that happen. So as you develop more experience with the business, as you develop more experience with people, as you develop more experience with tech, it's not the things that you know that will happen like clockwork. It's also understanding this create space for the things that you know might happen or that you don't know will happen so that at the end of the day, you will have planned comprehensively for you know, for, for the reality of the, of the business that you live in. Yeah, that's really, really great. Well, we've alluded to it a couple times. Well, if you would, tell us what's this big project you're working on now that will impact a lot of folks around the Indianapolis, Indiana area. Yes. 
I also, in addition to being a project manager and the licensee and organizer for TEDx Indianapolis, the local independently licensed TED event that happens um, in the Indianapolis market, and I have been doing that since 2012. Um, I, I started by attending my first conference, um, TED Active, out in California in 2012 because somebody came to my desk and said, hey, you're kind of all over the place and like to study things. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a TED Talk? I'm like, no. He said, you should watch this. So they sent me a link and I watched a talk about data visualization. And then maybe a couple of hours later, I kind of blinked and came to my senses and I had mowed through about 20 talks um, on this TED platform. And I just walked down to my, office, my, my boss's office and I said, hey, I, I need Christmas, birthday, and Easter all at the same time. And he said, what? I said, yeah, there's a conference I think I need to go to. It's uh, something that is, you know, for those who are in the, in the Covey language, of, I, I need to sharpen my saw. And I told him about it, and he, he agreed. And the company sent me out to go to TED Active, which was a conference that was full of organizers from TEDx events all over the globe. And uh, just to lay context, at this point in time, there are about 3,000 TEDx events that are licensed every year from, uh, from the boroughs of India to China to Australia to the United States all over the place, public theaters, stadiums, you name it. And I, am, I was fortunate enough to be, be a part of the Indianapolis TEDx event um, since its beginnings in 2012. And we have, we have championed ideas worth spreading, which I find amazing because as I had mentioned earlier, everything is fair game. And my curiosity is something that pulls me to, to this, pulls me to other like-minded people. TED stands for technology, entertainment, and design. Um, but it is also stretched beyond that into just a general public dialogue the public discourse of education, of uh, you know, politics, of history, of, of law, of, of mathematics, of astrophysics. So you name it, we, we have explored those, those areas. And I, I spend my time managing, the, uh, managing my team. Um, again, you know, TEDx Indianapolis is, is project management at its best. We get licensed to put on an event and we choose the people that we need to help us put that on based on their skill set and based on the things from a personality standpoint that they just bring to the table. So not everybody is going to be a perfect fit for a perfect role, but I need people that are flexible and curious and easy to work with who want to find ways to make people's lives better. So we assemble a team of volunteers and we settle down on a theme, sub-themes, and then we find ideas that are really interesting and compelling. And then we find people who are doing interesting things in those idea spaces and we invite them to give a short talk that will challenge the audience's understanding of a particular area, um, challenge their understanding of global warming, challenge their understanding of how we, how we interact in the workplace, challenge our understanding of the future of autonomous vehicles, et cetera. So um, all of these things are, are, are fair play, and we, we assemble this event all as volunteers to ultimately give back to Indianapolis, to give Indianapolis a chance to connect to itself and to connect to the outside world and for the outside world to take a look into Indianapolis and see what, what we are up to and what we're thinking about here. Yeah, that's really great. And do you have a date yet or is that TBD? So um, our website, TEDxIndianapolis.com, will generally have 
all of our current information as well as our social account. So for our listeners, I will know the date, so I will put it in the show notes. So you just scroll down and you can find out when this event is occurring. So, Chris, thank you for uh, taking us on your career journey. And as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And we don't know each other, but I'm a huge car guy. So if you would, could you tell me, what was your first car? Yes, my first car, I grew up in a farm community. And my first car was a blue 1991 Chevrolet S10 pickup truck. Oh, that's a classic. Manual pickup truck, yes. Those are actually going up in value right now. Really? Oh, that's cool. Well, what's your dream car if you have one? I'm actually driving my dream car. Um, it's uh, it's not a not a supercar or anything, but it is to me. Um, I am a Jeep guy through and through. I enjoy Jeep Wranglers um, because I enjoy playing with them and messing with them and taking things apart. <laughs> I have a Jeep Wrangler that is my this is my second. Everything about driving that and owning it is, is fun. It stokes my curiosity um, and it uh, it uh, keeps me what I feel close to my roots of a tinkerer. So my uh, my affinity towards Jeeps, I would say that they will likely always hold a spot in my heart as a dream car. That's awesome. Well, one great perk to some jobs is a company car. So if I had all the money in the world, I'd love to buy you a cool company car based on your job. Now, for your job, I went with, on your LinkedIn profile, you said something to the effect of an awesomeizer. Awesomeizer. Is that how I, did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. You help yes. make people succeed and be awesome, right? Yes. That was given to me by the uh, first group that I worked with at Beck. That's the title that they affectionately gave to me was their awesomeizer. <laughs> I love it. So I decided, all right, I'm going to start there. You're in Indianapolis. What's cool about Indianapolis and cars? You got the Indy 500, the most historic race in the world. And what was a car that really was awesome at the Indy 500? And unfortunately, it's not a Jeep, but you can tinker on it. So the car I picked for you is a 1915 Stutz Bearcat. Have you ever heard of this car? Indeed, yes. Yeah, so this car, 1911, it ran the race, finished 11th, and no one had heard of that car before then. And they came out with a production model, 1912, and that's the car made good in a day with its slogan because it basically created a car company in a day because of its success at the Indy 500. And I picked for you this particular one because in 1913, they came with an electric starter and they had electric lights. And I picked the 1915 specifically for you because you could drive down Indianapolis Motor Speedway's museum and see this car that won in 1915. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and either your company or TEDx Indy? Um, the best way that they can learn about me is uh, on a platform called about.me slash carpe. So just like carpe DM, that is, uh, that is my personal site. TEDxIndianapolis.com is uh, Ted's website, the TEDx Indianapolis website. Um, and Beckman Coulter, um, Beckman.com is my company's website. I can be found on LinkedIn. I am an L-I-O-N a LinkedIn open networker. So if anyone would like to connect with me, I'm always more than happy to do it because I love connecting with people. So feel free to connect with me in any of those spaces and I would love to chat. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.